on a, on a trip to Washington, D.C. one year, it's more accurate to say that we actually met in Washington, D.C., because what happened is Ginny and I left Fort Wayne to go down to Tennessee to pick up Peter from the Reach Work Camp. Our youth were at a work camp down there. And uh, so Ginny and I left, and we took off down uh, Route 1. We were doing this whole we were doing this whole trip without getting on interstates. Uh, that was our plan, and so that's how, that's how we started. We made it down uh, to Tennessee there, and then we took a we picked Peter up. We took a few more days, went to a hotel in Virginia. Um, this was a, you know the good old days when I say we took back roads that we. This was before GPS was used, you know, for traveling around. I'm sure the military had it, but it was before the before people really had it. And so we were actually using maps. You know, those are those are paper things that come and they have a picture of the country. Well, all these lines, which are the roads, and and, and stuff. You know, so just so you know what a, what a map is. Um, Marcy and Mandy left Fort Wayne and drove out to meet us at the hotel in Virginia for the weekend. Uh, for them, it was just a long weekend. Jenny and I were on a longer, longer vacation. But, so we stayed at the hotel, we drew, and we took the subway in and out of Washington, D.C. If you've ever been there, it's a really convenient uh, setup they have. And so we were able to do that, and it worked out, it worked out quite well. Well, Ginny uh, and I and Peter didn't need to be back in Fort Wayne as early as Marcy and Mandy did. They had to go to work on Monday. So Sunday evening, then they took off and started driving for home. And they took turns driving and, and, and sleeping, you know, so that they could get home and driving however long it was going to take them there. Um, and it, as, it, as it got later, then, uh, you know, one of them was sleeping, and then they, were, they pulled into a gas station to switch drivers, get gas, and really just to get out of the car and walk around a little bit. So... The sister who was napping now took over the driving. I don't remember which one it was because I wasn't there. I just remember the story. And um, and the, the uh, driving one and then took a nap and they took off for home again. Well, as they're driving along, then the one who had driven, you know, to that previous point woke up and started asking her sister about where they were and looking on the map for towns and things and found out that they had been traveling an hour the wrong way. They were heading back east, further away from home, instead of getting closer to home. Uh, And and it was just one of those... But they were making great time. Um, Today we're going to look at how to recognize... When Fat H <laughs> gets shelved, I apparently did that. Well, what happened? Uh, we won't go into it. Just trust me. It's just, it's supposed to say when faith gets shelved. Looked real good on my computer. When we switch computers, which is what we do for the uh, video, it doesn't always, doesn't always look quite as nice. Um, but anyway, we're going to, we're going to look, um, you know, for how to read, how to recognize some warning signs to know when you're going in the wrong direction. Not on the highway, you know, you're on your own on that one. Uh, not on the highway, not, you know, not with, not with that, but, but as we're looking, you know, as we're looking at life, what are some warning signs that help us to know when we're going the wrong way as God's people? Let's pray and we're going to get into the passage. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Uh, your love, your faith to us, and your faithfulness. 
Now we need to understand a little bit more what it means to live and operate in and by faith. Uh, so guide us in your word, through your word, as we look into it uh, this morning, that we would have your insight, your wisdom, uh, and that we would respond, respond to you as you work, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 26 at the end of it there. Um, to those of you who expected a Mother's Day sermon, you'll have to get it on the radio <laughs> because um, this is not it. But, you know, as Kent said, happy Mother's Day to all of you, and whether you're a mother or not. And I know this is a hard day for some people, you know, and, and um, you know, I don't mean to be flippant, but you all had a mother. Some of them were good, some of them weren't. Um, but what we want to do is we want to, you know, we do want to honor and celebrate the the, uh, the women in our lives. And I hope it is a good celebration for you. That's it for the Mother's Day part of the message. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 26 uh, as we continue to follow the record of Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob. We come to a chapter, which is chapter 27, actually, where they are headed... They turn, they're headed in the wrong direction in life, uh, not physically as they traveled, but by the choices, by the choices they're now making as they live. They were heading away from God. Uh, their choices revealed very clearly they're heading away from God. Now the faith that they had in God gets shelved. There's no evidence of it in their living, which is heading the wrong way for God's people. If you're, if you claim to have a relationship with Christ and, and you know Him, uh, and, and you are doing things that are opposite of what He says, you're heading in the wrong direction. God's people should not be doing that. If you claim to be God's people, you should not be heading away from God. You should be heading closer to God and you should be deepening your relationship with Him, you know, and that should be getting it should be something that's getting better now we're going to uh, look at what seems to have caused each one of them to go uh, the wrong way so that we can learn so that we can see and, and learn to watch for signs of those in our own living and then turn back to living for god as god's people last week we stopped with verse 33 of chapter 26 so today we're going to start with verse 34 there uh and again, we're going to read, I'm going to read this in smaller sections, so keep your Bible open when I pause and stop for a moment as we, as we look at some things. Uh, I think these last two verses of chapter 26 really give us some insight as we move into chapter 27. So, um, Genesis 26, page 22 in the, in the Pew Bible there, uh, verse 34 says, When Esau was 40 years old, he took as his wives Judith, the daughter of Barry, the, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now we're going to pause there first for a, a couple minutes. Now, Esau did not follow his father's example here. His father's example was to return to the homeland to get a, to get a wife. Really, it was Abraham's example who returned to the homeland to get a wife uh, for Isaac there, you know, Esau, Jacob's father here. Now, we're not given a lot of details, simply the fact that Esau married two women of the land they were living in as foreigners. Remember, they were living in this land as foreigners. God told them very clearly they were, they were there and they were to be living there as foreigners. And he took uh, two women as wives. Now, his marriage to two women is an issue, as well as choosing women from a people who were idol worshipers and polytheists. Uh, but those are not issues that I want to focus on here today. What I want to focus on, notice that these women made life bitter 
for Isaac and Rebekah, it says, made life bitter. Now, the indication is that it was their intentional actions that brought bitterness into Isaac and Rebekah's lives by their intentional actions there. Now, some of your translations have a footnote, and if you look down at that footnote, it'll tell you something to the effect that it's more literally worded that brought them bitterness of spirit, that there was bitterness of spirit. You see, this is deeper than simply being disappointed. We can be disappointed, you know, and I'm, you're probably disappointed, you know, that I'm not preaching on Mother's Day. You'll get over it. You know, this is deeper than that. This is, you know, this is, this is something that, that has a much more of an effect in your life, much more of a profound poke in the heart, you know, if you will. It's a bitterness. It's, it's like a feeling of total, of total dejection. Of, of failure, of feeling that, that colors, that affects all of your living. It is, it is that profound of an effect in your life. And to me, this points out one of the things that, that, that can be a problem for us and we have to watch out for it because one of our challenges is to recognize the common foe. This can sneak up on you. This sneaks up on you most often. You don't realize the common foe. Now, see, here's a problem. When, when you get into this and you don't recognize the common foe, what begins to happen when there's, a, when there's that common foe there and you don't recognize it, you slowly begin to put faith on the shelf. And other things begin to control you instead of faith. Now, when I'm talking about a common foe, and what you, you, you know, what you see here is what happened to both Isaac and Rebecca, you know, because what happens, it's our response to the common foe that, that is really at issue here. Because your response will either draw you closer together, or it will push you apart. You need to understand, a common foe is not necessarily sin. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is this common foe that begins to come in as a wedge and push you apart. When I was, when I went, you know, left my welding job, uh, the millwright welding job, and went to Bible college, uh, life changed a lot for Jenny and I in some regards, and in some regards it didn't. We still lived in the same home. We still had the same kids. We didn't trade them in for new ones. Uh, we, and, you know, we still had the same bills and all these other things. But what, what changed, you know, was, was uh, we were just stinking busy. You know, that's all there was to it. We were just flat out busy. I was I was busy being a full-time student. And then, um, you know, I got a job because well, we still had to pay the bills and, you know, and, and trying to take care of the house. Well, then what happened was then Ginny you know, started watching kids in our home to bring money in to help pay the bills. And she noticed that how busy I was. So then she started doing some of the things around the house, you know, uh, cutting the grass and, and things like that. And, you know, and so we were just really busy. And we started, what we, what we noticed is we started getting edgier with each other at first. We started getting more easily irritated with each other. You know, until it got to the place where we, I mean, you never like it, but until it got to the place where, you know, it just was like, 
what's going on here? You know, what's going on here? And what we realized, and I'm, I'm very grateful that we did, what we were, see, school, school was that common foe. Not that it was wrong, and not that I shouldn't have been there, but, well, it wasn't really school, it was the busyness that came about because of that. And then that busyness was coming in as a wedge and driving us apart. And so what happens, if you don't recognize, here's, here's your challenge, your, your battle for you, if you don't recognize the common foe, you each will respond to the, to, to a foe in, in your own particular way. You know, that's how you will respond to it. And you don't understand why the other person isn't, isn't responding the same way. You see, and sometimes they'll do something and, be, and because they're responding, they're, they're simply trying to get through this also. You're both trying to get through it. You're both trying to get through it in your, in your own way and not together. And your own way sometimes then bumps up against each other. So if you can't realize that it's a common foe there, then you have, you, you've added a little fuel to the flame and you begin to bump heads. Now, this is not only between husband and wife. This is between friends. This is between co-workers. This is everything. If you cannot realize that common foe there, so what, what really helped for us was when we realized that there was a common foe there and we could say to each other, you know what? I'm not mad at you. I'm just mad at this situation. I hate what we're in the midst of with this busyness. You know, not that we were doing anything wrong. What we were doing wrong is how we were responding to it and not being together. We still, every once in a while, we will still get to that place where, you know, we realize something's going on, you know, and we can start getting a little edgy and stuff, and then we, we begin to realize again, you know what, it's not you. And just saying that to each other, it's just, just, it's like a pressure relief valve. You know, just even being able to say, it's not, it's not you. It's the busyness. It's the illness. It's the, you know, take your pick. There's so many different things that, that can come into there. You need to recognize this common foe because how you respond to the common foe, how you respond to that struggle will either draw you together or drive that wedge between you. And it will drain you spiritually if you let that wedge come in there. It will drain you spiritually and you will slowly be putting that faith on the shelf and simply responding from your own emotion and your own pain. Now, if you realize and admit that common foe, then you can, what happens is then you realize you're on the same side. And you can begin to work toward a solution together without putting faith on the shelf and letting that work then to build your faith instead. Now, what it seems happened with Isaac and Rebecca here is they each responded individually. And then they, they they acted to defend what they saw as their own territory, as their own position, and they ended up running over each other. That shows up in chapter 27. Follow along, verse 1 of chapter 27. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could not see, he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Look, I am old and do not know the day of my death. Take your hunting gear, your quiver and bow, and go out to the field and hunt some game for me. Then make me a delicious meal that I love and bring it to me to eat so that I may bless you. 
before I die. Now we're going to pause there for a second. Isaac is 137 years old at this time. You know, that's the same age that his half-brother Ishmael died. I remember, you know, some of you and, and, and going through some of those things. I remember when Walt had his stroke and some of the things he was battling. And one of the things he said to me, this is the age my father died. And we begin to think then. about it. And, and so this is the same, this is the same age here, here. You know, Isaac is the same age that Ishmael died at. You know, and, and it seems Isaac thought he didn't have much time left. He lived another 43 years. Now, he didn't know it at this moment. He didn't know at this moment that he was going to live another 43 years. You know, but, but he did. What we see here is Isaac trying to do an end run around God. Isaac is trying to get his own way, which is the elevation of Esau over Jacob. You recall, this is what God previously told him. It says the Lord said when, when they found out that that they were expecting when they, Isaac and Rebecca saw that they were expecting, you know, said two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. This would stand out to them because this was total opposite of what was normal. This would be something that would stand out to them. This would not be something they would overlook, you know, that, that the older would serve the younger. Now, Abraham had to know this, and, he had to, and yet he preferred Esau be the leader. So here, faith gets shelved, and he tries to put his own agenda into action instead of following God's word. You are heading in the wrong direction when you pursue your own agenda and you ignore God's word. What It almost comes across that you're trying to force God to follow your agenda. That you're trying to force God to follow your plan instead of his own word. Yeah, and what we need to do is we need to submit our ideas and plans to God's word, not try to submit God's word to our ideas and plans, you see. We need to submit our plans and ideas to God's word, not try to submit God's word to our ideas and plans. Don't get those backwards. God's word takes precedence, not our ideas and plans. When Isaac calls calls Esau in here and tells him that he will bless Esau as soon as he returns with one of his favorite meals, Isaac is making an offer that is in complete opposition to God's word that the older will serve the younger something he would not have forgotten it was that much of an uh, much of a, a, a in your face change to societal standards that he would not have forgotten it and here he is he's trying to set up and he's trying to push his own plan over god's word and you'll notice now, Esau, who, again, I'm assuming understands, you know, what, what went on with, with all of that. And he, he never objects. He never says, you know, God said Jacob's the one who should be getting the blessing. You know, he, he never objects here. Years earlier, Esau thought so little of his, of his birthright, you recall, that, that he gave that legal position of firstborn to Jacob in return for some food. 
Now, firstborn received a double portion of all the father had. The blessing is different than than this position of firstborn. You know, the, the blessing was was who would be the leader of the family, who would serve the others. You know, that was the blessing from the father, the direction, if you will, from the father. And that, that was separate from the material, from the monetary inheritance that was there. So, But earlier, Esau showed absolutely no interest in responsibility, evidenced when he gave that birthright away in return for a meal. And now he pursues this blessing. You know, Esau didn't care to keep his word with his brother. When he, when he met with his brother and he wanted that food, you know, and, and his, his brother, you know, he says, what difference is it? To, you know, what, what, you can add a birthright. And, and so his brother says to me, he said, swear to me first. So he, Esau, swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. You see, what happens is when, when faith gets shelved, we don't worry about keeping our word. Esau was, was fine with going back on his word. You know you're headed in the wrong direction when you don't keep your word. When you don't keep your word, you know you're headed in the wrong direction. You know you're doing the wrong thing. You know you're going against, uh, you know, against what God says. When you don't keep your word, when you don't follow through, when you don't follow through with what you say, God's people keep their word. Psalm 15 says, Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives honestly. This is the answer. The one who lives honestly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Whoever does not slander with his tongue, whoever does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor, who despises the one who rejected by the Lord but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps his word whatever the cost. Some of the translations say, who keeps his word even when it hurts, even when it's painful, even when it costs me something financially, maybe emotionally, you know, whenever it's there, God's people keep, God's, God's people keep their word even when a better offer comes along. You know, even when a better offer comes along, God's people keep their word. You know, even when when you say you're going, you know, you're going, you know, I'll help, you know, I'll help you, brother. You know, I'm going to do that. I'll help you on Tuesday night or whatever it is. And then, you know, you know, then, then Michael Pierce calls and says, I got tickets for the, I got tickets for the, for the Tin Caps game Tuesday night. You want to go? I keep my word as God's person. I don't set it aside because something else came along that I'd rather do. They keep their word even when it hurts, even when it's, even when it's something that costs. We looked a few weeks ago that, that uh, Abraham brought, bought a field in the promised land. The land that was promised to him when he was going to have this land. He didn't have anything, didn't own anything. His wife dies. He doesn't have anywhere to bury her in this promised land that God promised to give him. He owns nothing. Remember, he negotiated and purchased a field so he could bury his wife. And he paid, he paid multiple times what historical records indicate that land was worth at the time. But he paid it and kept his word, even though financially it cost him. Because he was acting in faith. 
to follow God's word when God said, this is going to be your land. God's people keep their word. God's people follow through on their word, even when it's difficult and costly, even when they may prefer something else. Now, in this chapter here of Genesis, Isaac and Esau shelve their faith. Isaac tries to push his own way ahead of God's word. Esau ignores a promise to his brother. Let's move on and read a few more verses in verse 5. We're going to read a lot more verses at this point. Chapter, chapter 27, verse 5, it says, Now Rebekah was listening to what Isaac said to his son Esau. Some people think she was underhanded and sneaky. Why? Why? She doesn't have to be underhanded and sneaky. It's husband and wife for crying out loud. Do you ever overhear anything your spouse says when you're in the same room? Just a thought for you. It says, uh, middle of verse 5, So while Esau went to the field to hunt some game to bring in, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Listen, I heard your father talking with your brother Esau. He said, Bring me the game and make a delicious meal for me to eat so that I can bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, obey every order I give you, my son. Go to the flock and bring me two choice young goats, and I will make them into a delicious meal for your father, the kind he loves. Then take it to your father so that he may eat it and may bless you before he dies. Jacob answered Rebekah, his mother, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man, but I'm a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me, then I will be revealed to him as a deceiver and bring a curse rather than a blessing on myself. His mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Just obey me and go get them for me. So he went and got the goats, brought them to his mother. His mother made the delicious food that his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of her older son Esau, which were in the house, and had her younger son Jacob wear them. She put the skins of the young goats on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Uh, then she handed the delicious food and the bread she had made to her son Jacob. When he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am e Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Please set up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How did you ever find it so quickly, my son? He replied, Because the Lord your God worked it out for me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come closer so that I may touch you, my son. Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came close to his father Isaac. When he touched him, he said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he blessed him. Again he asked, Are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. Then he said, Serve me and let me eat some of my son's game so that I can bless you. Jacob brought it to him and he ate, brought him a wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come closer and kiss me, my son. So he came closer and kissed him. When Isaac smelled his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you from the dew of the sky and from the riches of the land an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. Those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. You see, what happens here then is instead of realizing they are on the same team, you see Isaac and Rebekah here react to each other with contempt and animosity, not love. They're taking opposite sides here. 
They let this wedge come between them and drive them apart. Rebecca seeks to force the issue with lies and deceit. You know, faith, faith here that God would carry out his word and that God would elevate Jacob as he said he would to family leadership position. Faith in God following through on his word was just put on the shelf. And, and instead, they take matters into their own hands. Now, we need to actively pursue what God tells us, but we need to do it with honesty and truth. You need to do, you need to pursue holy ends by holy means. They were not doing that here. Now we sometimes give an excuse or we say, you know, that what we did, it was just a little less than honest. A little less than honest is dishonest. It's a lie. A half truth is a whole lie. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you're going to be. It's not to see how much we can get away with. You see, here's the problem. You're headed in the wrong direction when you are making excuses for lying. Whenever you are making excuses for lying, you are heading in the wrong direction. The end does not justify the means. Unholy, uh, un, uh, you know, unholy means will give you an unholy end. The end does not justify the means. Jacob didn't seem to have any guilty feelings here about the plan at all. Jacob only voiced fear about being caught. He didn't voice any complaints about doing wrong. He didn't voice complaints about lying. He didn't voice complaints about deceiving his father. He voiced complaints about being caught. Verse 11, he says, you know, he answers his mother, Look, my brother Esau is a hairy man. I'm a man with smooth skin. Suppose my father touches me. I'm going to be caught. I'll be revealed. A hairy man seems to be an understatement. If if goat skin was used to... uh, simulate the hair on this guy that a little aside for you i was working on this sermon and i got a call on my phone and uh, i didn't get it because jenny and i were driving it was wednesday night i had worked on this sermon you know tuesday and all day wednesday and i got a call and i didn't answer it it was a message um so i listened to it i think it was later that night and um it was from the dermatologist's office. Well, since I had that skin cancer on my face, I have to follow up every year with a dermatologist. When I went in last year, um, they said, we, we don't make appointments out that far, so we'll call you. I said, okay. So I assumed that's what this was about. Well, they called telling me, you have an appointment at 11.15 on Friday. And I thought, that's a stinky time. You know, I don't want to go 11.15 on Friday. I had to get, start doing something and then... You know, have to stop what I'm doing to go. So anyway, I, I'm in the office Thursday morning and I'm working on a sermon and I'm about where these verses are. And then I remember, you know, those of you who pray for me when I say I'm my own biggest distraction, I am. Then I remembered, oh, I got I, I, I need to call a dermatologist about this appointment to see if I can come in earlier. So I called the dermatologist and uh, they tell me that the appointment's on Carnegie Boulevard. I don't know the name of streets. I just go to the place I'm supposed to go to. I go to the one that's out southwest that's off of Ingle Road. I don't know the road. So I say to the lady, I got a call about this appointment. And it says on Carnegie Boulevard. I said, is that off of Ingle Road? No, she said, Carnegie Boulevard's off of 
off of Illinois Road. I said, well, can you give me the address? I figured I'd look it up. So she gives me the address. And I said, who's my appointment with? A few years ago, my doctor, my dermatologist uh, retired. And again, good for him. But I got to find a new doctor. Well, so he, I said, who should I go to? And he gives me this list of doctors and he recommends, you know, this one lady doctor. And, you know, I know you women have gone to men doctors all your life. And I'm sorry, but I, it wasn't my fault. You know, I, I'm going for a body check. I don't want to go to a woman doctor for a body check. You know, I just don't want to do that. I'm sorry. You know, so I said, no, I, you know, I don't. I, uh, you have a guy, you know, so so I get this guy. And, and, and actually then I, I, I have a, he's a physician's assistant. You know, the guy, the, the doctor says he's real good, you know. So, okay, so, so I, I, I specifically picked a guy. So I say to this lady on the phone, I said, Who's this appointment with, you know? And uh, she says, you know, Dr. Susan, whatever. I don't know what her name was, but it's a woman. For hair removal. <laughs> I said, I said, I said, for, for, for hair removal. <laughs> and I, I tell you, I, I must have laughed for five minutes to the lady. And the lady finally says, uh, so that must not be you. I said, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. And I'm sorry for those of you who need hair removal. <laughs> I get off the phone and I go back to working on this passage about this hairy guy. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, and I'm laughing all over. I'm, I must have interrupted myself laughing another five or six times. Kent probably, well, I had the office door open. I heard him coming up and he turned around and walked away. He says, I'm not dealing with it. No, okay, I just made that part up. Uh, but anyway... <laughs> Here's the deal. Jacob wasn't worried about doing the wrong thing. He was worried about getting caught. You know that you're headed in the wrong direction when you fear getting caught rather than doing wrong. If your fear is that you're going to get caught, not that you're doing wrong, you are heading in the wrong direction. When we fear the consequences more than we fear sinning, we are in a dangerous spot. Look again at verse 8 and verse 13. Verse 8 says, now, Rebecca's talking and she says, now obey every order I give you, my son. And verse 13, his mother said to him, your curse be on me, my just obey me and go and get them for me. Jacob should have been obeying God, not helping his mother deceive his father. Should have been obeying God. Don't help someone sin. Don't ever help someone sin. And don't let your love for someone pull you into sinful actions. That's a distortion of love. It's a distortion of love. Love promotes the best of someone. That's not what's going on here. And Jacob goes along with the deception. He adds to it by lying himself. And, you know, he, he, he tries... He tries to make the lie believable by bringing God into it as an excuse. Did you notice that? Verse 20, it says, Isaac said, Son, how'd you ever find it so quickly? He replies, Because the Lord your God worked it out for me. He tries to bring God into this. You see, you know you're headed in the wrong direction when you use love as an excuse to sin. This is, this, this is not love. This is a distortion of love. Love works for the good of the other person, 
Lying does not promote their good. Not at all. Let's, let's go through the rest of this chapter. The rest of the chapter magnifies what, what you see here, what you're going to see here as we read through the rest of this. It magnifies the tragedy that comes when you put your shelf on, when you, when you put your faith on a shelf and you begin to live by some other standards. When you shelve faith and begin to live by other standards, tragedy comes and that unfolds here. Verse 30, pick up with me, verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had left the presence of his father Isaac, his brother Esau arrived from the hunt. He had also made some delicious food and brought it to his father. Then he said to his father, let my father get up and eat some of, this, some of his son's game so that you may bless me. But his father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am Isaac, your firstborn son. Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably. Who was it then, he said, who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it, I ate it all before you came in, and I blessed him. Indeed, he will be blessed. We need, now, see, we're gonna, we say in our minds, well, I need to just change his mind. The guy was like, because what he did earlier was a verbal contract. It was a verbal thing, and they put a lot more stock in their word than we do. Unfortunately, we could learn something from that. Verse 34, when Esau heard his father's words, he cried out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me too, my father. But he replied, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. So he said, isn't he rightfully named Jacob? For he cheated me twice now. He took my birthright, forgetting, of course, that he willingly gave it to him. He took my birthright, and look, now he has taken my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you saved a blessing for me? But Isaac answered Esau, look, I have made him master over you, and I have given him all of his relatives as his servants, and and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you only have one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. Then his father Isaac answered him, Look, your dwelling place will be away from the riches of the land and away from the dew of the sky. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob. Because of the blessing his father had given him. And Esau determined in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother. Now we're going to stop there. Verse 33 tells us Isaac shook violently when he found out that Esau did not receive his blessing. What happened there is Isaac knew he had been overruled in his plan to tamper with God's plan. God's will still prevailed. What we see here in in, in all of these verses, it's the fallout, the consequences that they had to live with because they put their faith aside and lived by their own ideas, by their own desires, by their own plans, by their own schemes. They put their own stuff. God's God's program will will triumph. Now, sometimes, I mean, he can use man's sinful actions. Don't ever use that as an excuse for sin. But he can use man's sinful actions for the ultimate good. The sacrifice of Christ is is the ultimate example of that. Christ was killed 
Why? He was killed illegally. He was killed even though he was innocent. He was killed by those who should have been, should have been supporting him. And he was put to death, the innocent man. And, and, and no doubt Satan thought that he was winning at that point. And God used that for our salvation. When God tells us that all things work together for good to those who love God are called according to his purpose, he means it. He means it. And and what we see, you know, the stuff we see going on here, Isaac, Rebekah, Esau, Jacob, they gained nothing that God would not have given them anyway. But they lost a lot by putting faith on the shelf. Their relationship between husband and wife is in tatters. The relationship between brothers was destroyed. The relationship of this family blew apart. In the next chapter, we're going to see that Jacob has to flee to save his, to save his life. His mother, Rebecca, never sees him again. The consequence, Esau continues a downward spiral for a while. All of these consequences. What you need to realize is when you shelve faith and you live, when you're living unaffected by your faith, when it's not guiding your life, you will have to live with the consequences. And the consequences of living from something other than faith are severe. Watch for the warning signs. When you let a common foe drive you apart, drive you apart from those who you should be close to, you need to get back in faith. If you pursue your own agenda and ignore God's word, if you don't keep your word, if you make excuses for lying, if you fear being caught more than you'd fear doing wrong, or if you use love to excuse sin, if you see any of these, any of these in your life, you are heading in the wrong direction. When you're heading in the wrong direction, you need to turn around and fully embrace living by faith once again. We're going to continue on in the, with this uh, next week. You're going to see it's it's uh, some some things get a little worse. It seems before they get better. We're going to continue on in that, but fully embrace, fully embrace living by faith. Let's pray together.